and welcome to Stacia Jason, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Twyford and joined as always by Stu Lennon. Hey, Stu. How's Cyprus today? Uh, well, Cyprus is not bad. I have to say the sun has got his hat on. Uh, I played golf this morning. And if it hadn't been for the activities of this afternoon, I would uh, I would be in a fine, fine fettle. How are you in, in sunny Canada? Well, I could just see the sun starting to come up and actually I'll be ducking down behind my monitor in a couple of minutes here as it crests the monitor and shines right into my eyes because I was crazy and forgot to close the curtains. Hey. Oh. First world problems. First world problems. <laughs> Absolutely. We're we're a little cold again. It's uh, you know, zero in the in the mornings again and getting getting nicer in the daytime, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, I'm just afraid that this is going to do a Cypriot summer kind of thing. All of a sudden it's cold and then all of a sudden I'm going to be boiling hot and sweaty and yuck. Uh, uh, spring. Spring has sprung. That's what you're hoping. Yeah. I, I'd like a spring. You know, we've kind of got this w cold winter to not so cold winter. And then all of a sudden I think it'll go to hot summer, but I, I like spring. I like fall. I don't like winter. I don't like summer. I'm just one of those people. Ah, well, what can I say? Uh, just a little bit of follow-up. We have a reminder that there is, will be no episode next week. As uh, I think it was Ross said it, we are on a break. <laughs> and on a break, on a, Justin, I ha I'll have you know, young man, that I have spent this afternoon arm wrestling with the car hire firms of the world, all of them. Oh, <laughs> because uh, the reason we're on a break, dear listener, is that, uh, as you probably remember, I'm off to good old Blighty. And by the time that you hear this, I should have been there a couple of days, um, if I've survived that long. I don't know if my ticker will will put up with this, Justin. It is such nonsense. I had booked a car through uh, one of the sort of aggregators um, who sort of, you know, look around and get you the best deal, yada, yada. Um, and, uh, I don't know if you know this, I don't know how much uh, hiring of cars you do, but all the car firms have 37 different additional insurances that they want to try and charge you, mm -hmm. um, just to, to sort of move up their, their day rate. Um, but if you're, if you're a smart bear like me, then you, you buy a thing called insurance for car hire. So it's an annual policy that gives you all of that insurance for every hire that you do so that you just go to the car hire company and say, no, just give me basic. Ooh. But that means that there'll be an excess of, no, there won't, because I've got another insurance policy. It's fine. Thanks very much. So, so the counter to that now, as I am discovering, is that car hire firms are demanding to put, uh, what was it? It was uh, $3,500 pre-auth on a credit card. Oof. Um, because, you know, we've got to cover... Uh, the the collision damage waiver plus the theft waiver, and the, they're just trying to punish you for not taking their additional insurance. And generally speaking, I'm quite relaxed about that sort of thing, apart from the fact that all of my credit cards are UK-issued, and I live in Cyprus, and so I don't really use them. And so gradually the credit limits have been diminished on these cards. Mm. And so I'm, I was just looking at the, at the small print and it's like, and it must be on a Visa card that's got a blue line on it or a MasterCard that's got a slight tinge of green. It's very, very specific as to what cards it'll take. And I'm looking, I'm going, I'm not sure that I've got credit limits that are going to handle that. So I did a little bit of checking around. I thought, no, they're not. Mm. So I thought, do you know what? I'll cancel you. And uh, then went round all the other car hire companies to find a car. And one of them said, took me through all of the, you know, tick this and tack that and do this and do this and do that and do that and do this. Right, we're all good to go. Hmm? And then 10 minutes later, sent me an email saying, actually, we're not. We don't have a car. <laughs> right. Good, obviously. So I, I finally then settled on a third company and Thus far, I've not received any cancellations, but of course I have turned on my podcasting shortcut, so I, I wouldn't receive anything anyway. That's probably a good thing. But it's infuriating. It'd be quite the rant on, on live podcasting. 
Yeah, well, this one takes takes American Express, and I still have quite a healthy um, credit limit on American Express because well, they're like that. But yeah, the complications. I mean, I am flying to one of the top five biggest airports in the world. You would have thought this would be straightforward, really, because I'm not doing anything terribly radical. I'm hiring a car. Um, I get it, though. You know, inventory management, COVID. I mean, you know, just from a business perspective. I, I mean, I don't like it as a personal thing, but, you know, if you're a car hire place in COVID, the first thing you do is reduce inventory. Uh, once things start picking up, you now have the problem. I don't know if I'm assuming that you have the same problem that we do out here, that inventory is hard to get at the moment. If you want cars, there's, well, premiums. Almost every car out here is pay is selling for above list price. Sure. Yeah. And you're, you're subject to limited availability. You know, I've, I've been looking at, well, bigger trucks because mine feels like a, a little toy truck compared to some of the big ones around here. And there are none on the lot. You're basically ordering one and hoping it will come in sort of the next three months. So I, I do kind of understand from a business perspective why they don't have cars and of course supply demand that gives them all the power and you as a poor punter you kind of get caught between the rock and the hard place on this one so i understand it as a business as a business analyst you kind of understand it as a guy that just wants to go and rent a car and and drive around i gotta say it's got to be frustrating well, the, you know, what's complicating it here is, is probably it's the inverse of the problem you would have in North America. So we've now had automatic cars for, I don't know, a few years. Now, I don't mind. Uh, way back when in the, in the midst of time, well, not really, but the first car I ever drove was a rental because I was working for a car rental company. I got offered the job two days before my driving test. Um, and this wasn't very long ago because I didn't, I didn't actually drive for a very long time. So I'm pretty used to driving anything. I'll get into any vehicle and work it out. But Mrs. Lincoln is now very nervous of a manual transmission or stick, as it might be known in, in North America. Mm-hmm. But the vast majority of cars in the UK are still manual. So really? it's, getting an auto- yeah, it's getting an automatic that causes the problem. Okay. I'm really surprised about that. I think here you're into that situation where if you, if you want a car that has a manual option and you want the manual option, you're probably paying a premium for it. Yeah. I mean, it's going that way in the UK. Um, and you know, particularly at the higher end, if you're buying BMWs or Mercedes, then more and more, uh, automatic transmissions, but your sort of run of the mill standard, uh, little, little sedan, I think stick still outsells automatic by quite some way. Wow. And I think if I remember, you guys have to take your test on a stick if you want to drive a stick, right? Correct. Ugh. Fun. <laughs> like I say, I, it takes me um, a, a, couple of, a couple of hours and it's not my clutch. So I'm not too worried about it because driving stick is actually relatively straightforward. And it's, it is a little bit like riding a bike. It does come back to you quite quickly. But there are a couple of occasions where you know, for me, I remember coasting off a highway. So I'm coming off the highway and just forgot that I had to lower the gear as I started slowing down. And the whole <laughs> thing sort of comes to, to a yeah, juddering hole. Oops. Um, but yeah, I just so tiresome the the sort of admin around travel. I have I've, I've literally I've got one of those little plastic wallets now with 14 pieces of paper in it. And it's just such rubbish with the car hire to hire a car now. I'm sorry, this could go on for hours, but okay. So you choose what you want, your insurances, all of that good jazz. Boom. Right. Here's your credit card details. Right. Can you upload a photo front and back of your driver's license? All right then. Okay, fine. Oh, and your passport. Sorry? No, no, we need two pieces of ID. Of course you do. Right. Good. Then there's a thing in the UK called your driver's license code. And you get this by going online, filling in your driving license number, your address, and your national insurance number. And it will give you a code valid for 21 days 
that you can give to anybody that needs it. I have no idea what this is for, Justin, but anyway, mm-hmm. I, I, did, I did the thing, did that, printed that, okay, got that. And then they say, oh, and uh, we need a paper proof of address. My good God. Um, I'm hiring a car. I'm not buying the car. And you know what's going to happen, Justin, don't you? When, when I finally stroll into this place, having had a four and a half hour flight, deprived of any alcohol because I'm driving, uh, some little employee person is going to sit there and say, uh, yeah, well, the reason we need it, sir, is for anti-money laundering. At which point I will go, is it now? Let's, let's have a little go through the regulation, shall we, young man? Oh, so you're you're going to end up on on TikTok as one of those guys. It's just ranting at the poor little employee who's, <laughs> uh, you know, following the pages and pages of regulations. Uh, some corporate pen pusher, like myself, I, has come up with but, uh, uh, sitting in a in an ivory office or sitting in an ivory uh, home office um, that has no clue what people actually deal with. But I have to get to the bottom of this. I have to understand why. <laughs> I mean, I think what am what am I paying? I'm paying. Uh, I call it seven hundred pounds, something like that. Uh, so US talking just over a thousand dollars, right? So it's not exactly a massive sort of money laundering operation. I mean, that the, there's a credit card that's you know linked to a bank. There's this special code that you can only get from the people that issue the driving license. Plus there's the driving license. Plus there's my passport. And now you want a letter from an electricity firm or a gas firm? I don't, what? Wouldn't it be easier just to buy well, a car and then sell it at the end of trade it in at the end of the seriously, seriously considering that as an option, just where will I park a car in England that is easily available? I mean, just nonsense. Ah, <sighs> ah. And and of course, that's only part of it. Then you've got hotels. and Well, I think I might do an offshoot podcast all on my own. Just, I won't release it. I'll, I'll just talk for a couple of hours. Stuart's rants and raves. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's madness. Anyway, so. This this ties into your tool of the week, though, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it, it will do, yes. It would have, but, but first on follow-up, I have to I have to chase you up and say, what what is the backup solution that I should be employing? I have not even had a chance to look this week. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, this will be carried forward. You will okay. not be allowed off the hook, I'm oh sure. Boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, but I'm trying not to cost you money because, anyway. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Any money I save will be given to a car, however. Hmm. So, yes, tool of the week for me is uh, TripIt, which I believe we may have touched on before. It's an app. There is a free version and a premium version, and it's an itinerary manager, essentially. Uh, and so as I cancel and re <laughs> and rehire and cancel and rehire and cancel and rehire, I just um, email all of those or forward all of those emails to plans at tripit.com. And it recognizes my email address. It adds it to my itinerary. It looks at the date and goes, ah, that's when he's going to the UK. So he puts it. So it all comes into a very neat sort of timeline. Uh, and everything goes there. So flight details, cars, hotels, meetings, uh, restaurants, a- anything you like. And so I forward it all in and it's, it's like an idiot proof guide. <laughs> I sort of look at it and go, right, this morning I'm getting up and driving to Bristol. Okie dokie. Off we go. Um, very good app. Really, really like it. It does not, however, take away from the fact that you still have to speak to car firms, airlines and hotels, which... Frankly, is this more taxing than it should be? Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious. How does it handle cancellations? Because I, I, I'm guessing it's what just latest email gets latest email on those dates bumps everything else, or do you have to manually delete things? Uh, you can do it both ways. So it's got algorithms and that sort of thing. So you can send the cancellation email to plans, and it may or may not work it out. So uh, where, where it gets to a point, you send it something and it goes, I've no idea what this is. It just puts it in unfiled and gives you a little alert saying, I've got this thing. I've got no idea what it is. What do you want me to do with it? And so you tell it wh- where to put it and, and it does. But you also have, you know, a big fat 
manual edit button <laughs> for for when it's all too difficult to work out what it doesn't understand and you can just zap it out and zap in another one mm. i gotta say though Stu, after listening to you talking about the logistics i can't say i'm in any great hurry to get on a plane and go anywhere again because oh my god i i remember that hassle and the flap and all the rest of that we uh, were yeah. booked on a plane uh just the about two days before ever, the entire world shut down for covid uh we were mm -hmm. going to be down in disneyland for a couple of weeks and luckily my wife was checking disneyland's app to say oh it's lunchtime i wonder what the wait times are because we're excited and i think this was a thursday and we we're leaving on the saturday and there was a big notice uh, disneyland is closing next week so we had to cancel everything and reschedule and get credits and just the whole, the whole thing. And it was such a nightmare that it's turned me off this whole let's rebook our trip thing. So yeah, I can't say dealing with hire cars sounds like it's got any better over the COVID thing. Oh, no. I mean, the, it's partly, as you say, the sort of, you know, the COVID restart and everybody being all the companies having to sort of change mode again. Um, but right now in Europe, it's abject chaos. So the airlines have essentially, uh, not the airlines, but the airports have laid off the vast majority of their staff. And then as relaxations have occurred, they've, they've got in touch with all those staff, say, oh, would you like to come back? And those staff quite understandably have said, no, I found myself another job. I'm not interested in you anymore. Um, and... And so there's no staff in the airport. So the queues at security are enormous. Nobody knows whether to wear a mask or not. Um, the airlines are cancelling flights because they haven't got staff or they get a COVID close contact and everybody has to self-isolate. So our flights were cancelled um, and we've been put on sort of different ones, which hasn't inconvenienced us too much. But the apps are going, hang on. So my British Airways app shows me flying out twice and shows me flying back twice. And it's just... I <laughs> and the minute that, that Mrs. L and I were comfortable that we knew what we were doing, we sat down in front of the TV watching British TV. And the, the lead, the lead piece on the news is chaos at Heathrow Airport. Oh no. <laughs> as, as people are sort of standing there for multiple hours waiting to um to get through security because there's only four people healthy enough to do it, you know? Oh, lovely. I'm <laughs> just thinking, and we're landing on Easter Saturday. So, oh, so, good. <laughs> oh, anybody that's got seniority has a weekend booked off. <laughs> yeah, probably. And then the final, the final nail in, in this particular coffin is, uh, if you follow uh, football or soccer, as uh, people in the States might say, there's a thing called the FA Cup, which is a really big tournament. It's very famous and everybody gets very excited about it. And the semi-finals are being played next weekend. And one of them is being played at Wembley, which is directly between Heathrow and the place that I need to get Mrs. L to. Mm. Just about the time that we're going. Perfect. Yay! <laughs> That's what you need the car insurance for if you're driving past a, a bunch of unruly, grumpy soccer fans. <laughs> it's uh, it's Liverpool versus Manchester City. So uh, lots of people coming down from the north of England for a big party day in London. Can I make a suggestion? Dress in yellow. <laughs> Stay. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I, I should work out what the central locking is. Keep my head down and go, I like rugby. Leave me alone. <laughs> what about you? What's your tool of the week? I'm taking a break. We've, uh, I've talked about this with, with you and TJ that I needed a break. So I decided to, we've got Easter weekend coming up. I decided to extend it. Took yesterday off, taking today off kind of makes a five day sort of break for me. And yesterday was absolutely lovely. I got some time to do some hobby stuff. I got a nap in the afternoon. It was, it was all very nice. Uh, Great stuff. So yeah, I, it, in North America, things are quite a bit different than Europe in terms of how much annual leave one gets for vacation. And in North America, generally it's, it's really not enough. Um, and one has to be somewhat strategic as far as, you know, particularly if you're, if you've got a jobby job part that you give yourself 
break time to, you know, to do the things that you need to do. Sure. And, and I think that's, you know, that's one of the challenges I think North America has why people get burnt out is, yep. you know, you want to go on a family vacation. Well, I have to save my weeks. I have to save my days. So I'll show up even when you're performing less than you should be. So anyway, I took a couple of those days. I invested them in myself and Hey, it's, it's good so far. I'm, I'm enjoying not having a check in and uh, be at the back and call of a computer all day. So it's lovely. Excellent. Well done, you. Good work. Mm, I'm not flying anywhere, those two. You've turned me off. <laughs> yeah, I've turned myself off. All right. What are you, what are you writing with this week? Uh, well, so I'm getting ready for a trip now. So um, uh, as we previously discussed, a Mont Blanc has made its way into the rotation. Um, and it's the dinky one, or I call it the dinky one. It's very thin. It's a Mont Blanc Héritage Rouge et Noir. Uh, so it was there sort of nod back to an earlier edition uh, that comes in a very bright coral. Mm -hmm. But uh, I've got the black version, so it's it's very restrained. But it has, um, the clip is a serpent. Uh, and it's, it's a very stylish pen. Thin in the hand, so not ideal for me for long writing. But, you know, I'm traveling and I'm on business, I won't be doing long writing. And this is the one that will get brandished so as people at these business meetings try and work out why i'm wearing pajamas um because it's the only thing will fit um i can at least look corporate with the pen that's oh. that's my thinking here um and ink wise i am using um this was selected not really for the pen because it complemented the ink that uh that i've got in the other pens i'm taking uh so this has got some some uh honey burst uh diamine les gibson very nice Lovely colors, lovely colors. Uh, yeah, I love the Les Gibson line from Diamine just because, hey, mm. I have one of those silly expensive guitars. It's great. Uh, yes, of course. I, I keep forgetting you're a man of musical talent. Uh, I envy you. Uh, we had our uh, new expensive uh, spare bed. I think I complained about it. Mrs. T was out spending money uh, a month ago. Mm -hmm. They delivered it and installed it. It's that little fold-up bed. That way we can use that room for other things when we don't have guests here. Um, but the the young guys that were delivering it and installing it uh, had to come in through sort of my music room. And one of them looks at me and he just, are you a musician? Because I have, you know, this entire rack of keyboards. And uh, I, I just kind of looked at him and said, oh, a little bit. And it was like, what a silly question to ask. <laughs> no, I don't play yes, at all. Yes, indeed. No, no, I just like the look of them. They make me feel intelligent. Yeah, exactly. I've, you know, I got that sort of 80s vibe. You remember when uh, you went to a concert and every, all the keyboard players had this rack of keyboards in front of them. And all you could see was the top of their head. Um, mm -hmm. I have that all the way around me. So, yeah, it's just a little bit. Anyway. Splendid. Um, I'm writing. I'm writing with a, a new pen. It's not a fountain pen, Sue. <gasps> retro fifty ones. Are you into retros at all? Uh, I've got one. That's all I say. There you go. That <laughs> says it all right there. Um, I actually bought two of this pen. They're they're a numbered version from the Smithsonian collection. They are the new release. Uh, Raven steals the sun. I bought one for my wife, and I have one for myself and this is the Tlingit art from alaska and it's it's absolutely gorgeous um we are in an area that is highly respectful of uh the indigenous land claims and artwork and all of those um Things that you, you get out of the city and you certainly come back to nature, mm -hmm. to the history of Canada. And I absolutely love First Nations artwork out here. I, I love going to, uh, there's a, a beautiful vineyard that we have that's on uh, First Nations land and, and does a fantastic job of talking about the story as well as just the product. And so this celebrates that style of artwork. Uh, it is a raven bringing light into the world. Um, and just 
gorgeous absolutely gorgeous so if you're into that type of stuff it's out there now um absolutely lovely so there you go and it's not a fountain pen very cool uh should we get into our topic because this will be an interesting yeah one. we're going to talk about jobby jobs and hobby jobs there's been a couple of developments in the world that Stu and I listen to of podcasters, people leaving their jobby jobs and going independent. And, you know, Stu and I, well, we both have sort of corporate jobby jobs. We have side hustles, we have hobbies. And I thought it was a good time to have a discussion about that, uh, you know, uh, do we see ourselves doing a John Syracuse and leaving the working world or a David Sparks and creating our own labs to do this full time? Or is a job part of that? Um, you know, it, it seems like now everybody has a passion project or a side hustle. You know, it's, it's kind of, if, if you just have one job, you're almost the exception in, in a lot of the circles that, that I see. Mm -hmm. So I kind of wanted to think about this and, and talk about it. So Stu, I was thinking, what, what do we class as a, a jobby job, a job? What, what would you class as, as a job? Especially because you're, you're in the middle of, you know, I've got a more traditional job. I've got a group of companies that I work for. They pay me a salary. They expect me to show up between certain hours of the day. Um, that, that is a job for me. Sure. You have all kinds of different irons and different fires. What, what's your thought on how you would define a job? Yeah, I think I think you're you know you're pretty much on it. Uh, you know, the jobby job is that one where you've uh, you've made a deal, you've made a pact to sell your time you know, or your availability, your ex and your soul. Yes, possibly uh, your expertise. And the last one of those that I had was in twenty. 15. So uh, we had, uh, a, a friend and I uh, had built a company, uh, worked in that company, uh, were employees of that company, uh, and then sold it. Um, and, you know, next day we're fired. I mean, we knew we were being fired. It was all part of the deal, but uh, that was it. So we were then out. Um, and then really everything I've had since is that sort of hobby job, jobby job. Uh, where I've um, sort of dabbled in this and dabbled in that, and I do bits and pieces, and I wouldn't recommend it. Would be the first thing I'd say. Uh, but in theory, I I was retiring when I sold that business, but retiring in such a way as well, I'm far too young to retire, so I'm going to pursue some interests. And me being me, I, I sort of approached that in a fairly scattergun approach, and and pursued lots of interests at the same time. Uh, and then periodically, um, now being one of those times, I'm going, okay, I need to rationalize this. I need to look at what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, mm -hmm. uh, which is why this conversation is very timely for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it is. So I think we, we're pretty clear on what a job is. That's fairly straightforward. I wanted to kind of dive into what's the difference between a hobby mm. and what's the difference between a side hustle, mm. because a hobby doesn't necessarily generate a return yeah i think that's it yeah. whereas i would suggest that a side hustle may be the same activity with the goal of generating some sort of return on the time and value of whatever it is that you're doing for sure it may be a hobby it may actually be you know uh elon musk uh, building whatever he is working on next um i'm not, I'm not sure how that goes but i, I was kind of curious what your your thoughts on that were would you say it's just you know the the intention of it a hobby and a side hustle or is there a a difference that i'm i, I i'm kind of missing no I, I i think you've nailed it it's um you and i could um monetize this this podcast so we could sell adverts um we could set up a membership we could um get sponsors you could do all sorts of different things i don't know that pre-show was pretty good this morning uh Stu. <laughs> indeed i mean quite quite how effective we would be that's a different question but <laughs> if if you choose to do that then you're saying right this is a side hustle where um first and foremost we want to raise enough money to cover the costs of production uh and then secondly you know anything above that um 
comes to us as creators. And, you know, lots of people do that. There are lots of podcasts out there that make lots of money. Um, and there are some podcasts out there that make a little bit of money. Um, and there are podcasts like ours that, that, that don't have any ads, um, that don't have any sponsors and are a hobby. So I think that's the difference for me, at least it is. There's nothing to say that we couldn't, you know, you and I could have a chat and say, right, well, given that uh, BMW are chasing us to uh, to get on and, and advertise, we should probably get going and advertise. And and you could, you know, evolve a hobby to a side hustle, um, which, as I know later, you need to be very careful about. Mm-hmm. Yes, but just speaking of the podcast, uh, my other podcast, we do have a small, you know, when you said uh, podcast that um, uh, makes a small amount of money, there's a few that make a lot mm-hmm. of money. There's a, f- a lot that make a small amount of money and uh, even more that don't make any money. Uh, but my other podcast is supported by Patreon, mm. uh, largely to cover the costs of it. Um, sure. And, you know, that does require a lot more effort. Uh, you know, in terms of what are we doing to create some value for people that like our podcast enough to give us their money, you know, where I, I certainly value their money and, uh, want to do things for them. You know, we do extra recordings, extra shows. We had a situation with my co-host. He was unable to make it to the recording uh, a couple of weeks ago. And so I brought in a guest host, which, you know, somebody different uh, certainly changes the workflow in terms of the edit and the posting and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, great opportunity. I enjoy talking to him, but you know, I, I'm looking at the way we're doing this and we're just saying, you know what, we're taking a week off. Sure. And I think that sort of changes a hobby into a side hustle a little bit. And, you know, I think that the difference is the monetization and you've got a note, the monetization trap. Uh, tell me, tell me about it. And I think I'm going to completely agree with your thought on it. Yeah. I mean, uh, there is a temptation, I think, particularly in, in this sort of environment now where, um, you know, it is possible to be a content creator and say, okay, well, I'm, um, I yeah, take Mike Hurley, right? So Mike Hurley, the podcast Don, as he was described in a in an English uh, newspaper article, mm, I would have called him the podcast Mike, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, it's obvious, really, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> but he he started now streaming um, his work on keyboards, so he likes playing with mechanical keyboards and making his own, doing all that. And he is very, very fiercely protective of that, saying, "This is a hobby. I do this for fun. I'm not monetizing it." So I'm just going to stream it and, you know, you come along you can, or you cannot come along, but I can almost hear, I can almost hear him thinking, but I might monetize it because he's taken that, that journey of, he started podcasting because he wanted to talk about Apple kit and he loved it and he was enjoying it. And then it became a kind of side hustle until it became the jobby job, the whole thing. He went, took the whole journey. Mm-hmm. But I think the danger with it is that if you take a hobby and turn it into a, a business, then you can take away the joy. Yeah, most certainly. Because you're no longer doing it for yourself and for the, you know, for the act of doing it. You're doing it because you feel obliged to do it. And that can really change your relationship with the activity. Mm-hmm. I certainly found that in, so I, w- I went to school when I, when I left. High school, I went to a school to become a music engineer because, hey, I'm a musician. I'm passionate about music. Um, you know, and and at that time, well, how do I say this? Podcast friendly. The late 80s were a good time for certain types of white powder parties, if you know what I mean. Yeah, for sure. And not something I ever did, but um, that culture was part of the music business and that really turned me off you know i i wasn't into that Um, music to me was an art form and all of a sudden you're doing a job on music you don't like because you kind of have to make money at it it's a career now it's it's a job not a passion and i walked away from it and hey lo and behold i became an accountant go figure um, you know, 
they were they were close, neck and neck the whole time. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, I kind of fell backwards into into an accounting job just because I was good with numbers. Um, sure. But the re the reality is that uh, at that point in my life, that took away a lot of my passion for music that I had as a as a young person. You know, playing music, uh, gigging, you know, the whole bit, and then all of a sudden, I, I didn't care about it anymore because it had become a product you know yep. a, a product that you did not necessarily love and one that just became a saleable part to make money and that that kind of well it killed it for me and i i'm kind of curious what's your background with side hustles particularly are, are you like me because i i was kind of thinking about this coming up and going you know one one of the things that i see out of people that do a very successful transition from a hobby to a side hustle to a jobby job is that people have stickiness to it. And I don't think I have that in my career. You know, I've, I've kind of always had the jobby job, but I've always had a side hustle at the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, are you the same or what, what's your experience? Um, a side hustle sort of come and go for me. Um, and you know, prompted by the note, I was, I was sort of looked back at what I've done. And when I went to university, the licensing laws in the UK were such that Bars had to close at 11 p.m. And I went to a campus university. So, uh, you know, there was a town not far away, Lancaster, but it was like far enough away that you weren't really going to be walking it that much. And, well, if anybody's ever been to Lancashire, it rains quite a lot. Um, so come 11 p.m., the bars had to shut by law. There were no nightclubs on the campus. And so that, that was it. That was the end of your social life, which to a bunch of university age students was, was not, not ideal. Um, until so, some fat guy who'd been living in, in Paris, changing money for a while, uh, started filling up his, uh, his dorm room with alcohol, uh, and selling takeouts. That, that was my first side hustle. Um, and I, I would kind of operate up until about midnight and people knew that they could come and buy, you know, four cans of this or a bottle of that or um and all i did was i i went down to the local costco and bought it all and put a nice hefty margin on it and sold it didn't bother with any of those licenses or anything like that uh, please don't try this at home kids it's illegal um so, so that was my first one and uh, that was great that you know i was making i was making decent money at that did you did you actually make anything or were you drinking all the profits Oh, well, I was certainly making a dent in the profits, but no, I mean, it was a, it was a tasty little business because I had a captive market who were students and essentially all alcoholics in training. Hmm. Uh, then when I was in the, the, the money business, the foreign exchange stuff, uh, I lived in Prague. A friend of mine opened uh, uh, Boy the Celtic Bar. Boy is the name of a Celtic tribe that used to live um, in, in the Prague area. And he sort of had a themed bar. And he and another friend uh, who was a, an architect, he was, um, he was involved. And they, they asked if I wanted to be a partner in it. So um, I, was a, I was a bar owner in Prague. Now, I really did drink the profits there. Mm. Uh, but not as much as, as, my, as one of my partners did. <laughs> um, um, and that, yeah, that wasn't a great business venture. It was great fun. Um, because you know, the, the bar had a very Scottish sort of leaning to it. And so when Scotland came to play the Czech Republic at football, uh, we were HQ and Scottish football fans don't, don't go away for a day. They go away for a week and they, they drank Prague dry that week. So that, that was, that was a little thing I did in the nineties. Um, and then I started my consultancy business, the one that still persists now, in 2003. Mm. And that was as a stopgap. So that was really, um, I'd, uh, I'd left uh, foreign exchange. I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do next. So I was doing some customer service training, that sort of thing, back in the, the, the change industry. Uh, and I set that up as a vehicle to do that consultancy. Um, and it's now evolved and, and runs um, my sort of compliance consultancy business. But that was my longest, that was my sticky one because I'm still doing it. Um, and it's still, you know, it's, it's a pretty lucrative line of business. And then there, there's a couple that I've started since I sold 
the money transfer business in in 2015. So I started novel writing, um, st still trying. <laughs> I bought uh, pocket notebooks, which became Nero's notes, uh, and yeah, started started podcasting uh, in April 2017. I want to say March or April, something like that. Oh wow, was it that long ago? I think so. Yeah. Seems like forever, yeah. doesn't it? Mm. And it seems like yesterday at the same time. Indeed, it does. What about you? What's, where, where did you go from your uh, not being interested in Colombian marching powder? Where did you go from there? Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I really notice a lack of well stickiness. That's sort of what I I, I notice. Uh, back in the nineties, I used to do a lot of IT support, building computers software networking all all of those mm -hmm. fun and exciting things supporting you know several small companies uh, that that was always a little challenging because i had a jobby job at the time sure and people that have a problem at work want response and you know sometimes yeah. that is hard to do you know you you've kind of got to make a trade-off well do i go to this meeting or do i sneak away and uh, try and make a phone call and fix this problem over the phone because I can't get there till tonight. So that was a little awkward. I transitioned that more into uh, website creation, and that was largely, uh, you know, at the beginning of Web 2.0, but uh, largely in, you know, at 1.1 and and proper HTML codings do. Uh, Yo. Anchor blocks and, oh, my God, all that stuff comes back to me and makes me go, ew. Um, you know, Squarespace, uh, not a sponsor, please become one. Cause, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't do that stuff anymore. In the knots, I had a photography studio. So, you know, a lot of the things that I did were kind of interested. I've had, I got my first, uh, SLR back in the days of, I think I was probably 11 or something like that when I got my first SLR and, uh, you know, sort of did photography throughout the years. Uh, I rented mm -hmm. a photography studio. There was uh, four of us that shared it. Lovely downtown Vancouver was great. Um, and then DSLRs got cheaper mm -hmm. and everybody thought they were David Bailey, you know, sure. you all of a sudden had uh, people that would come in with, you know, it's just not worth doing a job for that kind of rate. What, what happened was it just took the market for rates mm -hmm. and pro photos. I mean, there's a market for it, but again, as a side hustle, it became much harder because, you know, if you want to command the market rates, the high market rates for photography, you've got to have location, you've got to have time and you've got to have availability plus the marketing side of that. And so I kind of went away from that. Um, the point that I knew that that market had died was, uh, an acquaintance, um, had asked me for a quote for their wedding. And so I, you know, given them some, some pricing that was very, very fair. And they went with somebody that they got off Craigslist that was, uh, you know, ridiculously low priced. Sure. And then they came back to me, uh, about three months later, very sheepishly. And, uh, apparently this person that they hired didn't know how the light settings on their SLR worked mm. and all of their outdoor, uh, pictures for their wedding, uh, had a wonderful fluorescent green sheen to them. Lovely. And the guy didn't know how to get rid of them. So he came back with, with a disc and said, um, can you help us fix it? Pretty please, pretty please. Yeah. Um, which my response was a, uh, you know, um, but at that point I realized that was the way the market. So, you know, you, you kind of have to look at it and go, that was, that was a true side hustle. It was about money. You know, sure. it was largely about paying for the, for the expensive cameras that I was buying, mm. but it's also, you know, you want to get some return for that. Um, of course. Then I, I sort of started and stopped several different blogs throughout the years. And, and like you, I got into podcasts, though. One of my podcasts, as we talked about is Patreon supported. So I consider that to be more of a side hustle, yep. even though it's really just sort of covering costs and putting a, a little bit of cash over the course of the year into our, into our pockets. But, uh, it's, it's kind of, I've bounced around a lot. I'm not sticky at all. And I wonder if that's something that I need to be in order to make money in a side hustle.
But I guess the question that I really wanted to bring this up as is where do we see our side hustles going? Do we, we're at a certain point, we've talked about our privilege before mm -hmm. where we can have our hobbies be just a hobby. We can invest the time, we can invest the money, you know, making a podcast is, it's not terribly expensive, but it's not terribly cheap at the same time. There's hosting costs, there's certainly labor costs, there's tools, uh, as Stu was talking about earlier for his backup, you know, something's going to cost money. Sure. And there's a question that, you know, we're privileged enough that we can do that. But is that something that we, we want to turn into a side hustle? And is the side hustle something that we eventually want to turn into a real job? Certainly looking at Max Sparky and, uh, and Mr. Syracuse, one kind of looks at it and, and wonders, what am I doing? <laughs> I'm, do you have any thoughts on this, Stu? Uh, help me get my, my thoughts clear. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I've got all the answers, Justin, as ever. Uh, as in, mm -hmm. no, uh, yes, maybe, uh, I don't know. Help. Um, I mean, as you said, look, uh, privileged position. Um, I, I own the house that I live in. I, I don't owe any money on it. Um, I, I own a, I own a couple of houses. So one that my mum lives in, uh, one that I live in and one that I rent out. Um, and, and that rental, if you like, uh, is, is probably the best earner in the family at the moment, to be honest. <laughs> and my, all of my jobby job, hobby job, whatever they might be, all of those businesses make a bit, none of them really get my my full attention. Um, and as such, uh, you know, I think probably each damages the other. So I'd love to be a writer. Now, by being a writer, I think I'd love to be Lee Child mm. or uh, Frederick Forsyth or so that I can, you know, perhaps give some nice talks, be fabulously wealthy, sell millions of books. The uh, rolling sleeves up and writing and editing and rewriting and all that, yeah, that's not quite as much fun as being a writer, darling. <laughs> and the business model, um, and, and I know <laughs> this is somewhere where you and I are going to go off our own little tangent. The, the business model is a complete scam. Okay, publishing is a scam. So where you have you know, people selling books on Kindle for, you know, 99 cents or $2. Uh, just, just try and write a novel. Okay. And then think about selling it to people for 99 cents. But mm. I mean, it's just horrible. And there are very, very few people that make a living from writing. Even fewer of those are actually writers. And I, I hate it. I cannot see, even if you get to a traditional publishing deal, um, you're being offered a small percentage of the ticket sales of your books. Um, and the publisher is recouping, you know, or everything else. And, you know, I don't think there's anybody making an absolute fortune, but it's a horrible model because we've got to a position now where because of Mr. Bezos, we think that, you know, here's 99 cents of my hard earned money and you should be grateful for it, Mr. Writer. Mm. Um, even though that poor beggar is poured his life and soul into producing this book. I think it's very similar to the music business, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of creative industry still, the, the whole uh, revenue distribution pricing is just nuts. You know, I, as a consumer, I'm, I'm delighted I can get a book for 99 cents, but the, the reality is that that's just for the vast majority of people who write, it's just not enough. They can't make a living. And I think it's less than less than um, ten percent of full time writers actually make a living. Um, so I've I've got to confess when you're talking about the idea of being a writer, I've been looking at the, there's a there's a trend out here of these little uh, cabins, self sufficient uh, what do mm -hmm. you call them mini homes type things. I, yep. And I I've always got this idea of this you know just a a, a building away from anywhere up in the woods somewhere where I can, I could just go to write, um, mm -hmm. you know, I know I never actually would have the time to do that, but the idea of, you know, living the life of a writer, oh, it's, it's a lovely one, isn't it? 
It's very, very seductive. It's, <laughs> it's wonderful. Uh, the writing itself is a bit of a pain in the backside, I'll be honest. It's hard, isn't it? Um, it is hard. It's really hard. So, you know, the, as I grow a little bit older, a little bit more self-aware, a little bit more honest, then I'm, I'm not convinced. I, I've been through this, doing, going through this exercise the last week or two uh, of, you know, what do I want to do? Where do I want to direct my energies? And uh, the question I wrote in the journal, as yet unanswered, was let's assume that I finished Sean, which is the working title of my current novel, finished Sean in, a, in uh, you know, time unspecified, a couple of months, finished it, got it done, got it out. Would I write another book? That's the question that I've put in the journal. And as yet, I have not answered it. Now, the fact that I haven't answered it may be indicative. Yeah. Nero's... My my, uh, you know the the stationery store. Um, Nero's is essentially what they call a lifestyle business. So um, done right, there is sufficient market to have uh, a small business ticking along that's a lot of fun to run uh, and generates a little bit of money. However. It's a UK-based business. The majority of its business is done in the United Kingdom, which is useful in terms of currency, shipping, uh, tax. But I don't live in the United Kingdom. So at the moment, it's a lifestyle business for Claire, <laughs> who, uh, you know, don't get me wrong, Claire is by no means overpaid. But she gets a little bit of money out of it for the efforts that she puts in. Um, and then there's the bills to pay. And at the end, there's really not very much for me. So as a, as a business, I could look to develop that further and, and sort of take it away from that. This is a lifestyle business to this is a business business, get a bit jobby jobby about the whole thing. But that's, that's a thing, you know, that's going to require investment, commitment, all sorts of stuff. So, hmm, not sure. My consultancy business line, uh, my my day rate makes most people sort of fall off their chairs. Um, my favourite uh, review from a client is Stuart is like a rhinoceros, thick skinned and likes to charge a lot. <laughs> I love that, <laughs> and, that and that's you know I, that's kind of it. Uh, I have a very specific expertise. It's it's in a niche. Uh, I'm good at it, and and people will pay for that. But <laughs> it does involve. Um, that that whole commitment thing, you know, as you say, you're, you're a service provider, you need to be available for people. Um, and, you know, in theory, I'm retired. So, you know, how available do I need to be? When? How, am I happy with that? And it involves a great deal of travel. So if we take away the car hire concerns, um, you know, Mrs. L is not wild about me um, doing loads and loads of travel. You know, part of the idea of us living out here was to, you know, to, to, to live a sort of, uh, happy life together in the sun, hmm. which, you know, if I'm jumping on a plane, going back to England all the time is difficult. Uh, and the other thing is that, you know, people sort of ask you to sit on boards and take on roles and, uh, there are liabilities, you know, it's, it's a proper thing. So all of those things are going around in my head about, you know, how do I move these, these side hustles, which is my jobby job and what commitment is, is there to it? And, Ultimately, I suppose the question that I face, and again, you know, hands up, this is a very, very privileged position to be in. Uh, yeah, I worked hard for it, but B, I got lucky too. I, I don't really know how much money I need. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I need to be earning because most of my, my, my wealth is in assets. Uh, I don't have children. So the theory would be start unwinding those assets uh, and spending them. Um, cause the, the idea obviously is you, you want to die with, you know, four pence in the, in the bank or an overdraft just to get them back. But it's difficult to know when you're going to die. It's difficult to know what money you need. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm working through all this stuff myself. I'm still, still a little bit, well, no, a lot confused as to where I want to be, who I want to be, whether I want to continue with hobbies 
or have side hustles, or just have a jobby job, or what I currently have, which is a mix of all three. Mm. What about you? I mean, how do you see you know the next the next decade of of Twyford Industries unfolding? Yeah, so I'm I'm I don't have the same luxury. I still have a mortgage that needs paying every month, and mm-hmm. you know, um, certainly, yeah, for most people, I'm in a very privileged place. I have a very very small mortgage. Um, most of the mortgage actually was for the cost of the moving, you know, it was, you know, we did, we did okay, uh, out of selling the house and moving up here. Uh-huh. Um, so it's, you know, a, a very small mortgage, but it, it is there in the back of your mind. I'd certainly like to look at, uh, replacing that, uh, getting that paid off, uh, certainly with a wife that has been off work with cancer, sure. you know, having the financial position that we're now has been very, very comfortable for us. You know, we've, we've not had to worry too much about, you know, where, where the cash is coming from, even with just sort of one paycheck coming in. Um, you know, and that is a a reality that I have to face is that, you know, the, there is a financial trap of a jobby job. You, it's very hard, um, to replace a full-time income at the level that I'm at from a content creation type of, uh, of a product, mm-hmm. you know, really I'd have to look at it a, a lot, uh, closer to come up with a way of replacing a regular paycheck. And, and certainly that does sort of fall into my mind. How do you build up a side hustle to the, be the point where it could actually replace that paycheck, mm. you know, maybe in a few years and all of a sudden, uh, you know, the, uh, the mortgage is gone, but you know what? I have expensive taste and I'm going to admit that to myself. Um, you know, I, I certainly have a, a life of privilege that allows, you know, that the, the financial income that I have allows me to indulge that. And certainly I could, I could probably do things differently, but it would always come with a compromise. The part that I, I would challenge myself is to look at, okay, you know, even, even podcasting, you know, we're, we're late in the game. If you, if you like Stu, you know, how do you get to the point where you become the next independent content creator? And I'm mm-hmm. not sure that there is even a path to that anymore without killing yourself. I, I remember Mike Hurley, we talked about him early in, in the episode when he was, he was living at home in his twenties. He was working a day job at a bank, I believe. Correct. And going home and podcasting and editing every single night Mm -hmm. to build up sort of that, um, that, that catalog of product and expertise so that he could eventually become where he is now of, of leaving that job and for sure and having his own business in that. And, and that, you know, I'm not sure I want to do that. I I don't want to be you know, podcasting five, seven days out of the week. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think if you look, there is a common thread, um, the names that we've been throwing around, um, people don't know. So, uh, David Sparks is Max Sparky, um, maxsparky.com. Syracuse is, uh, John Syracuse of the Accidental Tech Podcast, Reconcilable Differences Podcast used to run a podcast or be on a podcast, Hypercritical, which is also a blog. Um, and Mike Hurley is the co-founder of Relay FM. All three of these guys were overnight successes after about 10 years of backbreaking work. <laughs> I mean, they, exactly. uh, uh, if you look at, I mean, uh, uh, Max Barkey now does all sorts of content. And, and if you're a member then some of the stuff talks about his scheduling tools, for example. So, uh, you know, he loves to, to hyper schedule and block out every hour. So he knows what he's doing. And he was doing all of this alongside being a, you know, full blown proper lawyer. And you just have to watch one of those little courses and go, he does in a day what I'd be quite pleased with in two, maybe three. There's this work ethic behind all of these guys that they put in so much work. The the podcast that, that we both know Syracuse for the most, I guess, would be Accidental Tech Podcast, and the clue is in the name. He had stopped 
a podcast because he was overloaded. He was he was burnt out. And he started a podcast with the current co-hosts, uh, Casey Liss and Marco Arment, uh, talk about cars. I think it was called Neutral, was it? Something like that. Um, yeah. And <laughs> they, uh, they realized that actually they were just talking about tech. Um, and if you listen to the theme song of the Accidental Tech Podcast, that will teach you, I think, everything you need to know, where the whole deal was that Syracuse was not allowed to do any research, and this wasn't to become a chore. It was just to be a bit of fun. And the chemistry between those three guys is such that everybody in, in the Apple sort of centric tech world listens to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is an accidental success as well, I think. But again, the work that goes in is enormous from, from all of these people. And to try and become, as you say, a, an independent content creator, uh, I think it's just the same as being a really successful lawyer. You have to put in a hell of a lot of work. You have to get a little bit lucky. You have to fail a few times and you have to keep trying. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, doing that alongside a jobby job, that's, that's really hard work. Especially when we get to a certain age, right, Stu? <laughs> yeah, if you're ancient like Justin and I, well, who knows? Um, it's it's maybe too late, but <laughs> you know, I I I think that the future of publishing is is independent. I think that uh, a book is a content, just like a a podcast is a content. <laughs> um, so I, I think that there are models that are being developed and explored that will will be more democratic and will offer more reward to the creator. But even then, you have to be, I think, very, very lucky to get to a place where you're making the sort of income that you can you can live off. Mm-hmm. I was reading an article the other day talking about YouTube and how YouTube has become a place for big investments. Mm-hmm. That... You know, nowadays it is not somebody sitting at home making the occasional video. It's you've got a studio with a team of people and you're heavily curating your videos in order to monetize those and get the, yep. the substantial views. And, and so I think, you know, that, that comes back to the same problem is, you know, is, is this something that are we, are we comfortable just saying, you know what? as a content creator, as a podcaster, as, as a writer and a musician for myself, you know, are these just hobbies that we're indulging in? You know, are, are we, should we be happy with just making enough to sort of cover the costs mm-hmm. or, you know, is, is there something uh, of this, you know, I'd, I'd love to do something like this full time every day. You know, the financial reality at the moment is it's very hard to do that without, as we talked about that 10 years of very hard work to get you to that point. Yeah. Uh, I'm just, I, I'm kind of confused as to what this looks like. You know, there's almost a question of, well, why am I doing what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. You know, Stu and I, we, we had a conversation. I was feeling pretty stressed and burnt out a couple of weeks ago. Part of why I'm taking a bit of vacation this week. And one of the obvious pieces that uh, came from TJ actually was, well, why don't you just take a break from the podcasts? And I thought about it and I went, you know what, what I really enjoy doing out of my week is the podcasts, which is great. That's a hobby that I still have passion for, you know, and that is, is key to me doing that. If I tried to make that into a jobby job, a side hustle, would it kill the, the enjoyment out of it? That's a Mm. question that I don't know. And certainly my takeaway is to think about that. You know, what, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? I think Stu, you you sound like you've sort of come to a similar group of questions to yourself. What are you doing? Why are you doing them? Um, you know, we kind of end up in the same place in so many weird ways. It's kind of funny. Yeah, no, I mean, I've, um, I've committed to myself to make a 12 month plan where, um, 12 months from now, I will be doing less, not that I'm going to be working less hours, I don't think, but that I'm going to be more concentrated in one or two areas rather than spread across four or five. Um, just because I think uh, that sort of focus will allow me to to get to the place where I want to be. 
I'm finding myself feeling a little bit torn um, so that I'm not, you know, part of the reason I came here was to enjoy my leisure time, but I'm feeling guilty when I'm taking leisure time. So something has gone wrong there. And the trip to the UK, I'm seeing a couple of my sort of key clients and, and we will be, I'll be getting an understanding from them of which way those projects are going, what sort of commitment is going to be required from me. And it will help me put together, you know, how I want my life to look. And then I'm going to make a plan to get there. What I'm not going to do is a standard stew thing, which is to, to sort of you know, start throwing things <laughs> and just seeing what happens. Uh, I'm going to try and come out with a measured plan. And uh, obviously, you know, Mrs. L is, is, a, is a huge part of that. And so what she's going to be doing or not doing and, um, and how that all works together. Mm. That is my, my big plan. Uh, and my takeaway from our conversation is that this is a challenge that I think many people in our space face. <laughs> if you want to get uh, involved in these things, whether it be you know creating content or any other project, it's really easy to get the balance wrong and to find yourself in a place where everything has become work all of a sudden. Everything is a commitment. <laughs> and, and that's really tiring because we as human beings need time to rest <laughs> and just do whatever takes our fancy i love those ideas rest that's what i'm gonna do for the rest of the day Stu. perfect actually no i think i'm on a i'm on the honeydew list today <laughs> well i think i'll be undoubtedly i'll be doing something to do with car hire uh and uh, later on uh spoiler alert i'll be recording 1857 which will be oh excellent in, in your podcast catcher at the end of the month it's lovely lovely yeah it's, a, it's an interesting thought process isn't it you kind of Start these projects because you're passionate about them. And then you kind of go, all right, what's next? Yeah. That's, uh, that's an interesting point that I think we're both kind of looking at. All right. Mm. Where can people find you on the internet in case they miss you next week while you're traveling? Okay, you can find me on the internet raging about car, hotels, and travel uh, at Stu Lennon uh, on Twitter. Or you can find me at stuartlennon.com, which is my website where you'll find my writing. What about you, Justin? Where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at JJ Twyford. You can see my latest Wordle score, which I was kind of pressed. I got it into. Simple it was. Please. You went from it. you went from zero to full house, didn't you? Uh, complete lucky guess, but you know what? It still counts. And that was one of the few <laughs> that I posted up online. Uh, you can find me at justintwyford.com. You can find more information and our show notes, stationaryjason.com. And we'd love feedback and we'd love to know sort of what your thoughts are about the balance between hobby jobs and jobby jobs. Uh, please send us an email stationaryjacent at gmail.com. You've got a little bit of time because we're skipping on a week. Please like and review us on your podcast catcher of choice. And we really do appreciate your recommendations to your friends and colleagues. Because we've got a week off, we have not yet discovered what topic we're going to talk about. We've not mm. decided we'll have to figure this one up. Lucky dip. Yeah, that's about <laughs> it. Uh, it'll probably be actually a, an hour of Stu decompressing and telling us <laughs> just how bad car hire really was. <laughs> However, we'll be back in two weeks. Until then, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us. <laughs>